0: All right. Good morning, everybody. So good to have you here. Hey, let's hear it for our worship team one more time. Awesome. Awesome, awesome stuff. My goodness. It is a good day to worship God. Amen? Uh, A little rainy this morning, but that is okay. It is a great time of year. It's great to be back uh, with you. I missed you guys Uh, last week. I was out preaching at our West Des Moines uh, campus out there, but uh, it's always good to be back with you here. Whenever I go out there, I just get to brag about you. That's basically what I do uh, and just tell them how much I love you, how great of a church uh, you are, and what, yeah, you can go, Ah, that's great, I don't know. Uh, I really do, I just get to brag about you and everything that God is doing here. It is a great time of year. Is anybody else looking forward to the fall? Anybody? Seven of you? Okay, the rest of you, okay, August, I guess. Uh, August is a great time of year uh, as well. Any State Fair fans out there? Anybody? Okay. Anybody not want to admit that they ate too much food at the State Fair? We thought about putting our donut holes on a stick this morning just to keep with the... Just to keep it. now, we're not going to do that. But uh, I am excited uh, about this time of year. We're kind of transitioning uh, into the fall. As you hear, lots of our classes and groups are kicking off here in a few weeks. We want to encourage you to get involved with those. But mostly I'm excited because today at all of our campuses... <coughs> <coughs> excuse me. We are starting a brand new sermon series called Here We Stand. Everybody say, Here We Stand. Here we stand. And we are going to be digging in to the, not only the history, but kind of the basics and the foundations of what it means to be Lutheran. Everybody say, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. yeah, we're going to be Norwegian too, I guess. <laughs> I just associate those because that's who I am. But uh, we're going to be digging into that. You're going to understand the significance of those three words here uh, in a little bit. But we're going to be diving into that question. What is it That puts the Lutheran in Lutheran Church of Hope. And now some of you are hearing that, and uh, if you've been around Hope for any length of time, you know this, that we always say that we are a Jesus church first and we are a Lutheran church second, and yet when you think about uh, being Lutheran, maybe some of these images come to mind. You know you're Lutheran when there's a coffee uh, line in the church budget, which there is here uh, as well. Nothing but the best. Anybody grew up with the LBW there in the middle? Oh, yes, we got some Green Book fans up there. Uh, confirmation picture, that's me there on the end in 1946, that's my confirmation no, that's not true uh, Church. anybody love church potlucks? oh man, they're so great Yeah, put the, put the utensils in your pockets then you, you have your hands free, that's what I learned uh, at church potlucks, but you think about those things when you think of Lutheran but it's far more than that uh, some of you are thinking about maybe, you, you know, you grew up uh, Lutheran or Catholic and you went through confirmation or, or something like that and all, all you think of is like this like dark, dingy basement in this boring confirmation class and a really boring pastor in a suit and green shag carpet uh, in the basement of the church. And that's what comes to mind. And you're like, oh man, I, I, what, 10 weeks on being Lutheran? What are you going to talk about? I am, I'm really excited to tell you, speaking of Ryan and our student ministry program, Power Life here, our confirmation program, is not boring. Uh, number one, Ryan is not boring, as you saw. And number two, We don't have a basement, so it's not going to be that way. Uh, We have a loft, uh, but the students are going to have a great time. But what I want you to understand about uh, being Lutheran is that it's not something we want to shove under the rug and just say, ah, you know, people don't really care about denominations these days and things like that. We are proud of our history. We're proud of our heritage, and there's a reason that we're Lutheran, because it grounds us in the Word of God. It grounds us in mission. It informs our teaching uh, and our preaching and uh, whatever it is, regardless of your background, this is for you. And one of the things that's great about Lutheran Church of Hope is that a lot of you are not Lutheran. And that's great. Some of you are the, the biggest group of people at Lutheran Church of Hope at all of our campuses have no church affiliation, uh, no history whatsoever. And that's great. Some of you do. Some of you grew up Lutheran. That's awesome. But that is not the majority here. And that is great. So turn to your neighbor right now and say, you belong here. Just tell them that right now. Just tell them you belong. It's a good place to be. And what we're going to discover uh, is that some of you are thinking, "Man, I can't wait! We're going to we're going to make Jello with chunks of pears in it, and we're going to have hot dish, and we're going to have a hymn sing out of the LBW, and it's going to be oh, well, maybe we'll do some of that. We are going to have a potluck here uh, in a few months or so, but that's not what makes us Lutheran. I think what you're going to come to find is that what makes us Lutheran, what it means to be Lutheran, is to be people that have been radically transformed by God's grace." And, and let it all the way in, and let it sink all the way in. And so today, as we dig into this, I'm not going to start with some dry, boring theology or anything like that. I want to tell you a story. I want to tell you a story <clears throat> about a little boy. A long time ago, a little boy grew up in a small town in Germany. And he was the son of a coal miner. And they didn't have a lot going for them, obviously. And so his mom and his dad had these aspirations that one day that he would... Uh, get educated and that he would be able to find a job and surpass where they were and were. And religion was certainly a part of his life, but it was just kind of what you did. It was a tradition. There wasn't really a personal connection there with God, kind of a set of religious duties to uphold. Well, he quickly became, this little boy quickly became fascinated with, with learning and with school. And as he grew up in high school and college, he, he learned Latin, he learned Greek, he learned Hebrew, and eventually he earned a law degree. So he was on this course to be a, a, a law professor, to be an attorney, which was great, except it didn't satisfy his soul. And many of you have come to this point in your life as well maybe a you know, quarter life crisis or a midlife crisis or whatever you're doing. And this young man had a crisis and it went through his head there's gotta be more to life than this. There's gotta be more than what I'm experiencing. I, yes, I, I'm smart, I'm educated, I have all these degrees, I know all these languages. But it doesn't fill me up inside. And so God answered that prayer in kind of a Saul to Paul sort of conversion way. He's walking along the road one day and God knocks him down and he heard very, very clearly that God was calling him into ministry. God was calling him into the priesthood. And so he goes to seminary and during his first couple years of seminary, he gets this assignment that he needs to write a paper, a statement to answer the question how is it that we please God? How is it that we are good enough before a holy and righteous God? How, how are you enough? And this fit right in because this question had haunted him most of his life and he wrestled with it, and he struggled with this. There is this person that I want to be. There's this man that God has called me to be, but no matter how hard I try, I keep messing up. It's, it's like, it's like a, I take two steps forward or t- I take a step forward and I take two steps back. I keep messing up. I can't be who God wants me to do. It feels like I'll never be enough. In a visual sense, it was like this. Some of you a couple weeks ago were here, and you know that I did. I had a balance beam up here, and so today I thought I would um, one-up that and do the pole vault. No, I'm just kidding. Not going to do that. Luther's big struggle was, how are you good enough? Actually, I might try that. I'm going to get a running start. No, I'm not going to do that. His big struggle was, how do you get up there? If that's God's standard, how do, you, how do you get up there? How are you good enough? How do you climb that ladder to earn salvation? And we, we know this, that, that God's standard is way higher. Some of you are like, I could probably climb the pole and, and reach that. God's standard is higher than that pole. God's standard is through the roof and through the galaxies. None of us are good enough to stand. When we put ourselves up against a, the standard of a holy and righteous God, we're never going to measure up. And that was... His struggle, that's what he was wrestling with. And to make it worse, the church in his day, the Roman Catholic Church, it was kind of teaching this twisted theology and this idea that somehow, if you did acts of penance, everybody say penance, penance, essentially good deeds before God. If I pray enough, and if I go to church, and if I give enough, if I, if I fast enough, then I'll climb up the pole. And the other thing is, if you give enough money to the church, if you give indulgences, as they were called, then the church would say, if you give enough money to the church, then you could actually improve your standing of where you end up in the different levels of heaven. They just created this idea that's not in Scripture at all, and so they twisted this to say, if you give more money to the church, then maybe you could get your relative out of hell or something like that. By the way, that's not in the Bible. But the problem was, in that day, the only people that could read the Bible, which was written in Latin, which was more of a higher-up language that you had to be educated to read— were doctors and lawyers and priests. And so the common folk couldn't read the Bible because it was written in German, and so the people that could read and interpret it had all the power, and they could say, to earn salvation, you got to work your way up to God. You have to be enough. Maybe if you just try harder. And that was this young man's struggle, and I just wonder, have you ever been there? I mean, for him, it was measuring up to God, but when you look at that, there's not a week that goes by where I don't talk to somebody in our community here and hear something to the effect of, I just don't think I'm measuring up. I'm not a very good Christian. I just don't feel like I'm a good enough mom. Just so overwhelmed with all these demands. I don't feel like I'm a good enough dad. I don't feel like I'm a good enough friend. My, My marriage is struggling. I don't feel like I'm a good enough spouse. I just don't feel like I'll ever get there. I just don't feel like I'll ever measure up. And I've got some bad news and I've got some good news. The bad news, bad news is you're never going to measure up. You're never going to meet that standard. The good news is there's the gospel, which is very different. And if you've ever felt that way, like, man, I just keep trying harder. And I don't feel like I'm ever going to be enough then you're going to fit right in here at this Lutheran church because this young man I'm talking about is none other than the founder of the Lutheran movement, Martin Luther himself. And there he is. He's had one too many corn dogs at the state fair. He's like, Pff. I don't know what it is with these old pictures. They didn't smile, but I call that Luther's not amused picture. Uh, uh, but he did have a personality, believe it or not. And so there he is, and he's struggling with this. And it turns out that his biggest struggle might be our biggest struggle And that's receiving for ourselves God's grace that says you can't earn something that you already have. And that's God's love. That no matter who you are or what you've done today, you are enough. Not because you're good enough, but because Jesus is good enough. And so after getting ordained in the priesthood, that's what Luther saw. He saw this great chasm developing between what the church was teaching and between what the Bible said. And Luther became obsessed with the Bible. He dug into God's word and he started reading Galatians and Romans, in particular the passage that you heard read today from Romans chapter 3. So if you have Bibles, open up to Romans 3. We're going to camp out there just for a little bit. And, and he started reading some of these things that the Apostle Paul wrote about the gospel, and particularly in verses 23 and 24. So in light of everything I just told you that the church was teaching, that was heretical at the time, imagine Luther reading this. Let's read it together nice and loud up on the screen. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So you can imagine the weight that is lifted off his shoulders saying, oh, wait a minute. I, I, I can stop trying to climb, climb up the ladder and, and get to God because the beauty of the gospel of Christianity against every other religion in the world that's saying, try harder, or worse yet, be God and try to get to God, the story of the gospel that Luther discovers, that sets him free, that sparks the entire Reformation, is because of what Jesus has done on the cross. There is no pull. And when we, just like in baptism, when we die with Christ and rise again, if you are in Jesus Christ today, if you are a follower of Jesus This is true for you. There is no pull. And you can stop trying harder. Wake up, guys. There you go. And you can stop trying harder to be good enough because Jesus has done that for you. Amen? That's the gospel. And we lay those things down at the cross and say, Jesus, I am desperate for you. And that's why it's not, here's a boost, grace. That's why it's amazing grace, because we don't deserve it, and yet we receive that because of what Jesus has done on the cross. I am enough. And Luther discovered that because he went back to God's word. And because of that, in those days, Luther's passion became translating the Bible and getting it into the hands of the common people. And that's why we are so passionate about you bringing your Bible to church. It's not just because I'm a pastor. Hey, you should bring your Bible carrier or whatever. People in Luther's day would have done anything to read Romans chapter 3. And yet we say, oh, shoot, I forgot my Bible. The pastor will just read it. That's fine. Oh, man, you guys. The Bible changes us. And when we dig into God's word, things change. The Reformation happened because Luther dug into God's word. I was thinking about that this week, and I couldn't help but be reminded of this story. Some of you may have heard this uh, before. My brother and I, there we are. Um, Look at those guys. I'm on the left over here. I think this is like, I was like three or four and my brother is a couple years uh, older. But we love to play in the mud. Anybody else's kids just love to get dirty. Like kids just, that comes naturally. So it, like, it was a rainy day, kind of like it was today. And it was just muddy in the backyard. And we were playing out there. Now, we were pastor's kids. And so we got all these things running through our heads because we spend a lot of time at church. My mom comes out and she sees us like that, just dumping mud over each other's heads and stuff like that. She comes out and my mom goes, boys, what are you doing And as good pastor's kids, uh, my brother looks back, he's covered in mud, he's got a shovel full of dirt, he looks back at my mom and goes, mom, we're digging into the word of God. (laughs) Look at those guys. I tell you that to tell you this, the entire face of Christianity changed in the year 1517 because a monk from Germany dug into the word of God. And it changed everything because he looked at what was happening in the world around him and he held it up to God's word and said, that's not right. And my challenge to you this morning, where is your faith based on? Is it based primarily on the popular opinions of the day, what everybody else is saying online, or is it based on God's word? Dig into the word of God. Be passionate about the Bible because it changes things. It changes things. And the Lutheran movement started because he dug into God's word. And so in October of 1517, Luther looked at the church that he loved and said, that's not right. And he marched up to the door of the church in Wittenberg, Germany, of his church. And people would often do this. They would bring a, it was like an old school suggestion box. And they would bring like a parchment, of paper, and they would, you know, write down one or two things that they had comments on. (laughs) Luther went to the door with a giant hammer and a giant scroll that went like that down to the wall and nailed 95 theses to the door of the church in Germany as a priest within the church critiquing his own church. Not just to complain, but because I love the church, Luther never wanted to start a new denomination. He simply wanted to reform the Roman Catholic Church at the time. And certainly, if one of your own priests is doing this, it's going to get the attention of the cardinals and the bishops and things like that. And so they drag Luther in because he's teaching this, Uh, He was a professor as well of religion at the seminary. He's teaching this to all these aspiring priests and pastors. Like, we got to put an end to this. Because if you're in control and you have power, and somebody is trying to usurp your power, you're going to drag them in front of the court and say, you must take this back. Stop teaching these things. And in that moment, Luther has a decision to make. Am I going to preach that message of the gospel? Or am I going to preach this message that somehow... We've got to earn God's love and be good enough. And in that moment, his response to their question changed the face of Christianity forever. Let's take a look. Here I stand. Three words that changed Christianity forever. You have to understand, in that moment, what Luther was saying was scandalous. This was going against the very powers that ran the country. The government and the church were side by side. So this is like going before... The high council. It was scandalous. I mean, it was rebellious. You know why he was so nervous and sweating? I mean, he just blew the top off his hair. He's got a whole head and everything. Hey, that style may come around. Just just, uh, the Lutheran do. It's the opposite of the man bun or something. I don't know what's going on there. The Lutheran movement started with a rebel doing rebellious things. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, you rebel you. You're sitting in a Lutheran church, by the way. You rebel you. And so obviously from there, Luther was kicked out of the church, but he continued to write and inspire other leaders. And because of that, it spurred on what is happening now that we are Protestants. It spurred on the Protestant Reformation. So not only the Lutheran church, but all these other church bodies kind of spun off of the Catholic church. And so there's kind of these two major branches to the Christian tree. If you will, we're all Christian, we're all rooted in Christ, but there's kind of the Catholic church and the Orthodox church. But this new branch of Protestantism, started, and it's traced back to that moment when Luther nailed those theses in 1517, and 500 years from 1517 is 2017, and that's why we're doing this sermon series, because this year is the 500th anniversary of the... Yeah, you can clap for that, absolutely, you bet. So Lutherans, including us all over the world, we're going to party like it's 1517. That's what we're going to (laughs) do. Uh, and that's why we're doing this sermon series. And so Luther was a rebel, but he was a rebel with a cause. And I just wonder, and I want to ask you this morning, what sort of things keep you up at night? What are the things that grip you that when you look at the world, you say, "That's not OK. I have to do something about that." For Luther, it was the scandal in the church, and there was people that were missing the good news of the gospel that you are good enough. That was his thing. What's your thing? What's your thing? when you look at the world, you say, i got to do something about that. There's this holy discontent that rises up in you. If, if you haven't found that, I would encourage you to dig into the Word of God. Because it does that. It changes you. When the Word of God goes out, it does not return void. And that should inspire you as it does Luther. One of the reasons that Luther joined the, 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 the type, the following uh, of, of the priesthood that he did, he became an Augustinian monk in the line of, of those priests that were following in the way of St. Augustine. And one of the things that, that he was passionate about, that Augustinian monks were known for, was caring for the poor, was caring for the sick. The plagues were sweeping across Europe at this time. And so there was no medical system. There was, like, you know, the community hospital we could just bring everybody to that has the plague or whatever. Do you know who cared for the sick and the poor? The church. And leading the way was Martin Luther, There was scandal in the church, they would confront that. There was sorcery and witches and all these things, they would confront that. And the reason I tell you that is because I want you to hear this, is that to be Lutheran, first and foremost, is to be transformed by God's grace and understand that you are good enough this morning. And secondly, to be Lutheran means that you don't stand by and watch injustices and oppression in the world. This whole thing started because of a holy discontent that rose up in a little monk from Germany. And if we're going to be Lutheran, yes, we can have potlucks and green jello. But I think that we should be rebels. I think that we should be rebels with a cause. And I want you to, uh, to understand that, that the Lutheran church started with this passion for the church to be a powerful force for good in a dark and evil and divided world. Luther was so passionate that the church or the name of Jesus not become some political pawn. Not become some pawn for somebody's agenda, in the name of Jesus. And I'll only say that again because I don't. I don't think you you got that. Luther was passionate that the church or Jesus' name not become some pawn for an oppressive agenda. It's really too bad that this whole thing has nothing to do with anything that's happening in our culture today, right, <laughs> folks? It is. It has been anything but a quiet week in our nation, and this whole thing kind of hit last weekend, and I apologize that we didn't say more about it last weekend. We were gathering together as pastors and figuring out, like, what is it that we say about this? And this one's actually pretty easy. Because what happened in Charlottesville and continue to happen around the country has nothing to do with politics. And you know how much we love to talk about politics at Lutheran Church of Hope, right? As little as possible. But this isn't a political thing. This calls in to question the very fabric of what we believe about people. And so if you're one of those people that like, I don't like politics and church, I just want to tell you something, okay? We are one of the things, we're not only uh, denominationally diverse as Lutheran Church of Hope, but we are politically diverse. We got people on both sides. Of the, we got people that are uh, left-wing and white, right-wing and everybody in between. I mean, we got the whole bird here at Lutheran Church of Hope, okay? And that's good and that's healthy and the key is we are united in Christ, The Jesus that unites us is bigger than the politics or the issues that can divide us. Amen? And so we stand on that, that we're united in Christ. But what happened in Charlottesville and what continues to happen around our country in the name of supremacy has no place in the church and is directly contradictory to the teachings of Jesus Christ. I want you to hear that loud and clear. When I even hear the name supremacy, I think about the God of the universe, the supreme commander of the Lord's armies, the supreme being in the universe, made flesh in the name of Jesus, getting down on his hands and knees and washing the feet of his followers. And he says, this is how you use power. This is how you use power to change the world. You love people and you serve people. It's love and it's grace and it's acceptance that changes the human heart not oppression and injustice. Amen? So that's what we're called to be. So this isn't a Lutheran message. This is a Christian message. This is what it means to be followers of Jesus, that every single person is created in the image of God and thus is worthy of dignity and respect. Jesus brought God's radical love to all, regardless of ethnic background or racial background or political worldview. And that's why we have hope today. Because I know some of you are fed up. Some of you are tired of all this. Some of you are worn out from all this. But because we have Jesus, there's hope. Because there's a light that shines in the darkness. Only because of Jesus, forgiveness is possible. Racial reconciliation is possible. Healing is possible. Justice is possible. And that may not happen today. That may not happen next week. That may not happen in your lifetime or this side of heaven. But at the same time, I want you to hear this loud and clear. We are not helpless. There's this feeling when we just get hit by waves of (coughs) terrorism and and evil and darkness in our world. It's easy as the church to say, oh man, I feel helpless. I I guess all we can do is pray. All we can do is pray? We have the... The the greatest victory in, in, in human history that Jesus has defeated sin, death, and the power of hell and every single evil or demonic force that could ever come against us. We are not helpless. We have the victory. There may be a battle going on, but Jesus has won the war. Amen? So we are not helpless in this. And so as the church, we don't stay silent. We don't stay passive. We get out on the front lines and we speak up about these things because they're not political They're about the very heart of God. And so I want to encourage you, and I want to challenge you to pray. Jesus said, pray that my kingdom come, my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Pray that. Pray for your leaders, even the ones you can't stand. Pray for them. Pray for the government. Pray for the church. Pray for your leaders. No, really do it. Don't just post about it. Do it and then speak up, and then act. And if you want to get involved in the political sphere, that's great, and God can work, that, work through you in that way, but speak up and act. And I want to challenge you. Maybe let's spend a little bit less time on Facebook and a little bit more time in relationship with people that are different than us. And I want to challenge you to take all that time that you spend in arguments and debates and posting things and sharing things, and maybe just take half that time in the next couple weeks, and go befriend somebody that is completely different than you. Not as a project, not so we can say we're more diverse and I'm reaching out, but for the sake of the kingdom. Because the book of Revelation tells us that someday we're going to get to heaven and it says every tribe and every tongue and every nation is going to be worshiping God. And the church is meant to be a foretaste of what the kingdom is going to be like. And so as a church... Our call is to be diverse and to reach out to people that are not like us, not for the sake of diversity, but for the sake of the kingdom. Does that make sense? For the sake of Jesus. And so I want to challenge you, reach out to people that aren't like you, that are a different race or ethnicity or even a different political background, and listen to them. Far more listening, quick to listen, slow to speak, Scripture tells us. It's more important now than ever. That's that's why we have a multicultural ministry here at the church, and that's why we we reach out and we're reaching out to the Latino population. That's why we're learning Spanish. That's why we're learning English. That's why we're going to do ESL classes. We want to be more diverse, not for the sake of diversity because we worship that, but for the sake of the kingdom because the kingdom is diverse of every tribe and tongue and nation, and that's who we're called to be as a church. That's why we reach out, and that's why we work tirelessly to make sure that hope is a safe place for all people, that all people are welcome not just to be tolerated, but to be loved. Amen? That's who we're called to be. And all along, that was Jesus' vision of the church. And I love how Paul says it uh, in Galatians chapter 3. Let's read this uh, together up on the screen. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Everybody say one. 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 Everybody is welcome here. I could just keep going on that list dot, dot, dot. There is neither Catholic nor Protestant nor Republican nor Democrat nor black nor white nor brown nor city or suburb or rich or poor or Hawkeye or the other team from Ames or whatever it is. <laughs> there is a place for every single person in Jesus' church. I want you to hear this. When Paul's writing in Galatians, he's not saying, hey, we're all the same. We're not. We're very different. That's the power of diversity. We love that. He's not saying we should all be the same. Do you know what Paul's talking about here? There is no place for supremacy in the church. That's what he's saying. Be diverse. But he's just coming against that idea that one person is better than somebody else. Everybody is welcome here. We don't get to come to church because we deserve it. We get to come because of God's radical grace. Go back to that picture of the candle's really quick. This was just a few days ago in Charlottesville. (laughs) Not torches, but candles, and you have people all over the spectrum, black and white, Republican, Democrat, rich, poor, city, suburb, all of those things. And you know what song they start singing at this peaceful rally? You may have heard of it, Amazing Grace. Christians, non-Christians singing, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Maybe grace isn't just a religious thing. Maybe it's what the world needs now more than ever. It's grace that changes people's hearts, not debates and arguments. Just as an aside, maybe you've seen it. I've never heard of somebody reading a Facebook post and going, oh, I'm so challenged and convicted, I'm changing my mind. Speak out, speak up, but spend a lot of time in relationship with people. Love people well. Be the church at a time like this. To be Lutherans first and foremost are people that have been changed by God's grace and are rebels with a cause. Now in this whole thing, a lot of people have been quoting another Martin, and that's Martin Luther King Jr. No, he's not Martin Luther's little brother that's a brother from another mother. This is a different guy, okay? (laughs) Martin Luther King Jr., very similar to Martin Luther, was very passionate about the issues of his day. And some of you are like, oh, I'm going to quote MLK Jr. because he's got all these good quotes. And I'm going to post that because he was really big on racial reconciliation. And yes, he was. But do you know why MLK was passionate about racial reconciliation? Because he was passionate about Jesus. Because he was a preacher, man. He was passionate about the church And because he was passionate about Jesus and God's word, that drove him to see that racial reconciliation was something that he wanted to fight for. There's a lot of famous quotes out there. This one doesn't get quoted so often. I'm going to throw it up on the screen. And it's a little bit more. I'll read a little bit beyond it. MLK writes this in jail. There was a time when the church was powerful. In the time when early Christians rejoiced at being deemed worthy to suffer for what they believed. In those days, the church was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinion. It was a thermostat that transformed the norms of society. And then he goes on, listen to this. If today's church does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church, it will lose its authenticity, forfeit the loyalty of millions, and be dismissed as an irrelevant social club with no meaning. That was written over 50 years ago. And you know what? Martin Luther could have written the same thing in 1500. They were passionate about the same thing. Translation, the church is at its best when it's on the front lines, leading the way, setting the tone, not blending in, and not cowering in fear when it seems like evil is winning. Let's act like we have the victory. Let's pray like we have the victory. Let's be the church like we have the victory and set the tone and be on the front lines and be laser focused not letting our mission be hijacked by some agenda or people take Jesus' name and put it on the face of white supremacy. Let's not let that be hijacked and stay laser focused on the primary mission of the church which is to reach out to the world around us and share the life changing everlasting love of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's our call as the church. It's God's grace, it's his love that changes people. Now, I was thinking about this story this week, and I was thinking about this film uh, that came out uh, a couple years ago called Forty Two. is about the story of Jackie Robinson. Everybody, anybody heard of Jackie Robinson? Okay, three of you. So there's this game called baseball, right? Okay, okay. How many people have heard of Jackie Robinson? Come. On. Okay, there we go. See, there you are. Wake up, everybody. Uh, and this film came out. I was thinking this week and looking and thinking about the story of this clip. Hmm. We have come so far as a nation and yet we've got a lot of work to do. Hi. We've come so far, but there is a lot left to do, and the church should be on the forefront of that. Robinson was the, one of the first prominent black baseball players to kind of break the color barrier and play high-profile professional baseball for the Brooklyn Dodgers at the time. And as you watch this clip, I want you to think about that, that quote from Martin Luther. Martin Luther. If you're looking for a social club, or if you're looking for a country club today, this isn't it. But if you're looking to get on board with a life-changing mission that's laser-focused on Jesus Christ, we'd love to have you. Find a local church and plug in, and be the church. Don't just come to church, be the church. And it's at times like this that we are called to put our arms around those that are hurting and that are broken. Let's take a look. Maybe tomorrow we'll all wear 42. And every season in Major League Baseball since Jackie Robinson retired, one day out of the season, every player on every single Major League Baseball team wears the number 42. There's a glimpse I get in that moment, in that picture right there, of who we're called to be as a church at a time like this. To put our arms around the broken and the hurting and the lost and the oppressed and say that God's love is for you and his grace, his amazing grace, is big enough. I love what he said, my family's up there and they need to know who I am. Heck, he could have said, here I stand, I can do no other. And that's who we're called to be as the church. Some of you are saying, oh, it's great, John, that's history. That's a movie clip and everything. But that doesn't really happen around here. I mean, it's Des Moines. I just realized this past week, I haven't told you this, but a couple months ago, after this service, there was a gentleman that came up, and and he was black. And I tell you that because it's a part of his story, and it's important. And he walked up to me, and he did not look happy whatsoever, which normally when I get done preaching and somebody comes at me like that, I kind of duck backstage. (laughs) But he came back, he came up to me, and he looked right at me and he pointed at me and said, Hey, are you the preacher man here? Sure, that's, yeah, you can call me whatever you want to call me, sir. And he looked at me and he said, Well, I've been been coming for a while, it's checking things out a little bit. I want you to know, I know you're a Lutheran church, but I'm not one of those Lutherans. Is that okay? And I said, I don't know. No, I said, it's fine. And then I just said, I just looked him in the eyes and I smiled and I said, hey, his name is Byron. I said, Byron, we are really glad that you're here. That was it. And it was like this tough exterior of this man just melted to the floor and this wall between us just came down. A white preacher. and this man and he started to tell me a story a little bit that he grew up in the church and kinda fell away from the church and he made some bad decisions and mistakes in his life and he mistreated some women he'd been married a couple times and been divorced a couple times and he turned to the bottle and he turned to drinking and all these other things and he said a couple years ago I just felt like I needed to go back to church and he said I I tried and I went to a couple churches in a different city and I don't know if it was the color of my skin or because they found out what I'd done in my past that I just started getting the cold shoulder. And so I was like, I've given up on this. I, I moved to Des Moines a few months ago, he said, and I was walking down Ingersoll Avenue here and I saw this big sign up on this church, kind of looked like a car dealership. You guys selling cars here? I'm like, well. And he said, I saw this big sign that said Hope. And he said, I could use me some of that. So I came in. And he said he came in and the greeter, for those of you that are greeters and don't think that you make a difference, he said, I walked in and somebody looked me in the eyes and shook my hand and said, we are so glad that you're here. He said, it just kept getting better. I went up and they have sausage and eggs. It just kept getting better. And and somebody, I was sitting up there eating breakfast and somebody came up to me and, and they said, can I pray for you? And I was like, what kind of place is this? And then I get to worship And all these Lutherans are giving each other high fives and worship. Like, you guys are weird. And then he looks at me and he asks me this question. Hey, preacher man, am I welcome here? And he just said what I think every single person that's ever walked through those doors wants to say and is thinking, but we all don't say it. He said, am I welcome here? And then it occurred to me, we were having this conversation right there. And I looked up and I said, Byron, you are the reason this church exists. For people outside these walls that think that they're not good enough, that think that they're not welcome. You are so welcome here. And you are stepping inside a Lutheran church and I am so proud to say that a part of our story as Lutherans is one of people that don't have to get cleaned up in the sink before they jump in the ocean of God's grace. You can come just as you are, and you are always welcome here, no matter what you've done or who you are or the color of your skin. <laughs> and I put my arm around him, and we had one of those good man hugs, you know, not one of those half hey, a good man hug. And I said, what do you think about that? And he said, well, I think I'll be sticking around for a while. And he's still here. And we love having him, and we love having you. God's grace isn't something to talk about, it's something to do. It's time to be the church, not just come to church and consume a sermon. It's time to go and be a light in the darkness, but it starts with us. It starts with giving yourself the grace that God's already given you. And sometimes we're the hardest ones to love, is to love ourselves. Receive it this morning, let's not just talk about it, we're going to sing about it. Let's stand and sing of God's amazing grace together.